nearly 3,500 years ago, the people of Israel were miserable in Egypt. Four centuries before, the, the 70 members of Jacob's family had gone to Egypt and were welcomed as honored guests of Pharaoh. Now they were numbering in the millions, and the Israelites suffered in slavery. They were feared and hated by the Egyptian masters. And all of this was exactly what God had promised to Abraham back in Genesis 15, verses 13 and 14. Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs. And will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years, but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. And so God had used that time to prepare them, to prepare them as a people. And now it was time for him to demonstrate his limitless power to the entire world by freeing Israel from slavery. And so God brought a, a series of catastrophic judgments upon the nation of Egypt. And, and the last of these ten plagues was by far the worst. It was so terrible that the Israelites had to protect themselves and prepare and be ready to escape to freedom in a hurry. In Exodus chapter 12, God explains this. He says, Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's house, a lamb for a household. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. You shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. In this manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations, as a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. This was the very first Passover. It was a demonstration of divine power and judgment that birthed the nation of Israel, gave freedom to the enslaved Israelites, and began the journey to covenant with God began the journey to a new homeland of their own in Canaan. And every generation of Israel was supposed to commemorate this event through the annual celebration of Passover, which is a very unique meal in which the great works of God were retold. And so we fast forward nearly 1,500 years, where the Passover is the setting for Jesus' final meal with his disciples during the week that changed the world. Hours after this meal would end, Jesus would be arrested, tried, tortured, and killed. And knowing what lay ahead of him, Jesus used this meal to teach an incredible final lesson. That they were about to experience the ultimate fulfillment of all that Passover meant. That Christ, our Passover lamb, would lead us to freedom in God's kingdom. I read this morning from Luke chapter 22, verses 14 through 20. Words that are very familiar to us. 
And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. As we observe this meal, we see that in this Passover, Jesus and his disciples were celebrating God's redemption and freedom. But doing it in a way that makes clear that Jesus is the ultimate Passover lamb who will lead his followers on a new exodus from slavery slavery to sin and death, and a freedom in God's kingdom. You see, we can't fully appreciate and understand what we call the Last Supper until we have some understanding of the Passover. So verses 13 and 14, they help us set, make sure we know what the setting is, that this is indeed the Passover. And they went and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when the hour came, he reclined at table, and the apostles with him. Now note that posture, they are reclining around the table. It was a requirement of the Passover meal. You had to eat it in a reclining position, which in that culture was the posture of free men, free to enjoy a leisurely meal and fellowship without the requirement of having to be ready to just jump up at a moment's notice to go serve a master. And the dinner itself it just begins with the posture, but the dinner itself is a very ritualized meal with very specific courses and foods that, that symbolize all of the events of the first Passover. And so every aspect of the meal, every cup of wine, every type of food, every moment of teaching and singing, which, which there's a lot of that throughout the dinner, they were, they were there to teach and to remind each of the participants, young and old, about God's miraculous deliverance of the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. And it was the responsibility of the host of the meal, in this case, Jesus. He is the host of the meal. He was responsible for retelling the events of what we know as the Exodus, beginning with the Passover. He would guide the guests simultaneously through the meal and through God's great acts of redemption. And the retelling would include reminding, you know, reminding them of when God remembers that covenant with Abraham that I read to you earlier and knows that it's time to rescue his people from slavery and suffering. And the leader would, would recite all of God's miraculous acts in his deliverance by judging Egypt through all the plagues. The plagues that culminate in the killing of the firstborn. Whereas God would pass over the homes of those who have been marked by the blood of a lamb that had been sacrificed and eaten. And so then the, the leader would speak of God's leading his people out of slavery and into the wilderness and into freedom. And every element of the meal was being explained and interpreted by the leader in terms of this Passover story, this Exodus journey. And so this is exactly what Jesus is doing as he's saying, this cup, this cup, this cup. 
But what he is doing is he is reinterpreting these elements as he is transforming the Passover into the Lord's Supper. Now, this particular Passover was actually the third Passover during Jesus' public ministry. But we are he is very clear in Scripture, right? He has been particularly anticipating this meal. And he said to him, I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Every moment during this week that changed the world is filled with, with, with meaning and significance. And every moment of this week, Jesus has in mind his suffering, his death, and his resurrection. And this dinner is no different, right? He is clear that he is eating this meal with full knowledge that suffering is what comes next for him. But he is particularly eager to eat this meal. And why is that? What is so special about this meal? I think there are two things we see in this passage that make it clear why this meal is so special, so unique, so important in his ministry, so critical during the week that changed the world. One is that rightly understood this meal was the last, the ultimate Passover meal. That completely fulfills centuries of observance of the Passover. And it is this because Jesus was about to become mankind's Passover lamb. But moreover, we see that Jesus is eager to teach his disciples the symbols and the significance of God's new covenant in his blood, Christ's sacrifice that will lead his followers on a new journey, a new exodus out of slavery to sin and death and into freedom in God's kingdom. These are the two ideas that shape our understanding of what took place in these verses during this Passover dinner that became the Lord's Supper. So the first of these is that Jesus is making clear that he is the ultimate Passover lamb, that it is his blood that will protect all who follow him from judgment, from God, from death. Verse 16 points us to this ultimate fulfillment, to, to Christ being the final ultimate fulfillment of all the Passovers that have come before, that he, he is transforming the lives of all of his followers. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. He, he will not eat the Passover again until it is completed, perfected, fulfilled. Right? All these are, are actually synonyms in the, in the biblical parlance in God's kingdom. And Scripture makes clear that that fulfillment, that completion, that perfection comes in Christ himself. Paul explains in 1 Corinthians 5-7, For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. This is the reality that Jesus Christ, the innocent and eternal Son of God, stepped into this world, took on a human nature, was born into this world at Christmas in order to die as the innocent sacrifice of blood needed to protect his followers from God's condemnation for our sin. And this idea that he is the Lamb of God is, is something that permeates all of the Gospels from the very earliest days of Jesus' earthly ministry. As, for example, when John the Baptist proclaims in John 21, chapter 1, verse 29, what does he say? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. From the very earliest days, we are pointed to this reality that Jesus is our ultimate 
Passover lamb. If you go back to the very first Passover, right, what happened, right? Innocent lambs were killed. They were eaten. Their blood was spread over households to, to cover the people of God from his judgment of death for sin. Well, now it is Jesus, the innocent lamb of God. And at the cross, he will freely sacrifice himself, sacrifice his sinless life. He will shed his blood to cover all of those who put their faith in him as Lord and Savior, that we will not experience God's condemnation for our sins. I read to you when I got started, I read to you from Exodus chapter 12, and I just want to highlight a few of the similarities from that reading between the first Passover and the sacrifice of Jesus that was going to take place the next day on Friday of the week that changed the world. Verse 5 of Exodus 12 says that the lamb must be flawless, without spot or defects. This is Jesus, because unlike you or me, Jesus, our ultimate Passover lamb, is without sin. He was unstained by sin. He was unblemished by the mark of sin. He was flawless. Because he was innocent of all sin, he could be the sacrifice that was acceptable to pay the penalty for your sins and for mine. Exodus 12 goes on in verse 6. It says that the lamb must be slain at twilight. So what happened when Jesus was on the cross that day? Luke 23 records that darkness fell across the land. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour while the sun's light failed. Twilight came across Israel as the Lamb of God was slain. Verses 7, 12, and 13 describe how covering the door frame with blood protected God's people from his judgment on Egypt for sin. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7 explains that for us, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, the blood of Jesus, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. In Christ, God's judgment passes over us. Because Christ's righteousness is credited to us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 proclaims, For our sake, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. All of these things are clearly in view as we return to our passage. As Luke continues the narrative in verse 19, And He took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. As Jesus instituted what we know as the Lord's Supper, he is introducing the bread that symbolizes his body being sacrificed on the cross as the last and ultimate and perfect Passover lamb to bring protection and cleansing and covering and freedom for those who trust in him. As Hebrews 10.10 explains it, and by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. The first Passover began a journey, a journey into the wilderness, a journey we know as the Exodus, a journey in which God led his people to both freedom and covenant. And those two go together, but that's a topic for another day.
Here at the ultimate Passover, we see the establishment of a new covenant as Christ leads us to freedom in God's kingdom. After the final judgment of Egypt, God led his people out on their journey into the desert where he not only made them a nation, he made them his nation and he he gave them the covenant of the law. He established this covenant with them. And we don't have a terribly good understanding of covenants in our culture, right? Because, you know, in our culture, we, we make covenants and then we immediately start figuring out ways to break out of them and get out of them. We keep the lawyers busy. That's <clears throat> talking to you, Bob. We keep the lawyers busy because we don't take our covenants very seriously in our culture. But, but in the ancient world, covenants were forever. Covenants were ratified with blood. It was so serious. The Hebrew phrase that we translate or think of as, you know, make a covenant or establish a covenant is literally to cut a covenant. It describes the cutting, the shedding of blood in which any covenant was made. Genesis 15 describes God's covenant with Abraham. It begins in verse 9. He said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought them all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he not cut the birds in half. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. And then we see during the Exodus, after the Passover, we see God gives the law through Moses. He establishes a covenant, but that covenant with the nation of Israel is once again ratified with blood. As described in Exodus 24, 5 through 8, And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins. And half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. And we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. And this is kind of gross to our antiseptic 21st century modern America culture. We don't like to think about these kinds of things, but this was the seriousness of a covenant in those days. And Jesus made clear that Thursday night that God was establishing a new covenant through His blood, through the blood of the ultimate Passover lamb. Jesus continues on in verse 20, and likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus' blood, which was shed freely the next day on Friday, was the sacrifice of innocent blood that established the new covenant between God and mankind. Now, the Old Covenant revealed a great number of things to us. The Old Covenant of the law, the one established in the wilderness during that exodus, revealed the perfect, transcendent holiness of the God who created the universe. 
with his word. That covenant made clear the tremendous price that has to be paid whenever we commit some little sin that we think is not a big deal, that something innocent must die. Whenever we selfishly rebel against the will of God, against His holy standard of righteousness. But I think one of the things that's most important for us is that this covenant of rules and procedures and laws demonstrated there is no possible way that we could ever work hard enough or be good enough or follow enough rules to earn our way into the presence of our perfect and righteous and holy God in heaven. And so God in His infinite love and mercy had eternally planned to establish a new covenant. It's pointed to from the very earliest chapters of the Bible, but He describes it very clearly in Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 33 and 34, as He's describing the new covenant. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. You see, God's old covenant was based on rule following and procedures and sacrifices, and His new covenant is based on His grace and His mercy and the infinite sacrifice of His Son, the ultimate Passover Lamb. It is not based on our flawed ability to follow rules. It is based on God's love and mercy. God's new covenant is written on our hearts. It offers forgiveness to everyone who, who chooses to follow Christ. It offers forgiveness for everything that we have ever felt guilty about, everything that we should be ashamed of. God's new covenant brings us into that relationship with Him that we were created to have. This is the covenant that Christ established through His blood, through that ultimate, perfect, complete fulfillment of Passover that took place on the cross. This is the covenant that frees us from slavery, not slavery to human masters. Slavery from sin to sin and death. Right? We're still going to sin from time to time, every single one of us here. But we're not slaves to sin. We have freedom from sin. We have power through God's Spirit to reject sin, to live in a different way, and to be forgiven for that sin. Sin does not control us. And likewise, while we will all die one day unless Christ returns first, death is not the ending to us. Death is not our master. Death does not own us. Rather, death is the beginning of an eternity in the presence of God. So no matter our sins or our failures, if we put our faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the new covenant in Christ's blood, covers us just as the Lamb's blood covered the Israelites at the first Passover. But this is so much infinitely more powerful because it covers us and cleanses us from everything. And so we rejoice with Christ in this new exodus into our permanent inheritance in God's kingdom. Verses 
17 and 18 are looking forward to the joys of God's kingdom. And he took a cup, and when he'd given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves, for I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Here at the ultimate Passover, Jesus is looking ahead to his return, to the the perfection, the consummation of God's completed kingdom. This kingdom is described in many different ways in the Bible, but one that is clearly in sight as Jesus is presenting these words is from Isaiah chapter 25, verses 6 through 8, that describes life in God's kingdom as a tremendous feast. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow and of aged wine well refined, and he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. This is what awaits us as we follow Jesus Christ on this new exodus into God's kingdom. A kingdom that is already all around us, wherever Christ's name is proclaimed, and yet we also know will be coming in its fullness and its perfection one day. Once that kingdom is completed and perfected, there will be abundant provision. When Christ returns, we will be in God's presence and He will comfort all who are mourning, all who are suffering, all who are in pain, all who are in Christ. This is the new exodus that Christ was proclaiming that Thursday night. That we will be leaving behind the brokenness of this world. And it is broken. And we will enter the perfection of the new heaven and a new earth in God's perfect kingdom. That regardless of our current circumstances, regardless of your pain or your sadness, your suffering or your loss, your hurt or your shame, your poverty or your limitations, this is the future for everyone who puts their faith in Jesus Christ. And the beautiful thing is as we go back, right, this is a feast for all peoples. There is space at this banquet table for all who will follow Jesus Christ. People of every race and ethnicity and nationality, every level of social status or education or accomplishment. And so even as we are rejoicing in our place at the table, our place in God's kingdom, We need to be taking seriously our responsibility to invite others to join us there by putting their faith in Jesus Christ. You see, we are a part of calling people into this new exodus in Jesus Christ, this journey that leads to ultimate and enduring everlasting freedom. As a lighthouse church, this is our calling. As individuals who are called to be the light of the world, this is our calling. This new covenant that Christ established, this freedom that is given through Christ's sacrifice is available to all who follow Him. 
all who let themselves be covered by the blood of our ultimate Passover lamb. Our world desperately needs this. Look around, look at the news, look at the terrible things taking place in the world around us and see the need for the new exodus. Let us be faithful in sharing this good news with other people that we may feast together with them in freedom forever in God's presence. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, as we look at the Last Supper and we look at the words of Jesus, we rejoice. We rejoice that He went willingly to the cross as our Passover lamb. We rejoice that You sent Him into this world to teach us to establish the new covenant to be that Passover lamb. We rejoice that through faith in Christ, His blood covers us and protects us from the condemnation we deserve for our sin. We rejoice, Lord, in this exodus that we are on, that already we are in Your kingdom, that one day the kingdom will be perfected and completed, that we'll be in Your presence, and You will be wiping away the tears in our eyes. But Lord, even as we rejoice in this great good news, Lord, help us feel the responsibility, the urgency, the importance of inviting others to join with us through faith in Jesus Christ, Lord. For we know that your kingdom is for peoples of every nation, every race. So Lord, help us to be faithful to that vision of heaven that you have laid before us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In a moment, we will be worshiping once again through song, but I would encourage you to use this time to reflect on all that God has laid on your heart this morning as we have prayed, as we have preached, and as we have sung. Rejoice in your new life in Christ. Rejoice in our covering by our Passover lamb. And if there is something you need to specifically pray about or would like to specifically pray about, something that has been holding you down and, and feeling like you're shackled, feeling like you're chained down, and you want to celebrate the freedom that you have in Christ, for Christ frees us from all bondage, then as we sing, I encourage you to come to the front and pray. Pray. You can kneel. You can pray with Pastor Neil or I. And if you have not yet joined Christ in this exodus, if you have not yet put your faith in Him as your Lord and Savior, I want to encourage you to do that today, to invite you to accept freedom, to embrace the freedom that we gain through faith in Christ alone. Let us worship.